That seems like a weird, like, Veiled Jeopardy reference there. I'll take threatening rappers for 400. Yeah. <laughs> He's at your door. You're on a jury. Uh, who is Ice Cube? Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Hello and welcome everyone to yet another episode of 1001 Album Complaints, the show where lifelong friends and musicians listen to albums from Robert Dimery's list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die and dissect it and give some in-depth opinions on why we think it's good or bad. Quick note at the beginning here, dear listeners, we usually try to keep this, I would say family friendly, but not family uh, hostile. But this week, we are going to be reviewing <laughs> Ice Cube's The Predator. And there's got, I mean, there's F-bombs in the titles of some of these songs, so you might hear a little bit more of that than you're normally used to, but I think it will all be in service of the great art. So, Is this a verbal listen- form of the... Uh- Parental advisory warning. It is a ver. I'm I'm like uh, who Tipper Gore. Is she the one who was uh, super into that? Or NPR? Yeah. So, pause your family picnic that was designed around this episode. <laughs> Put grandma to sleep. Well, and, uh... with Ice Cube's current reputation, it might actually seem like he's family friendly. But 1992 Ice Cube, a little not different. really family friendly. So a little different. If you have listened to Ice Cube's The Predator recently, congratulations, dear viewer. You're going to be able to follow along extraordinarily well with us. If you haven't listened to it, that's fine. We're going to tell you what you need to listen to, uh, highlight some of the parts so that when you do listen to it, you can have a deeper appreciation. So it is time to get to the cast of characters. I want to hear a quick, say, tweet-length review of The Predator, who you are, what your thoughts are. I'm throwing it off first to my main man, Adam. Hey, this is Adam. Very excited. Not super familiar with this album, but I will say it is unrelenting for nearly an hour. And one thing I took away was that Ice Cube has got a bone to pick. I'm sorry. He's got a face to shoot. I'm sorry. All right. And that's my <laughs> that's my review. And I'm Alan. And um, I my review of this a little, a little more um, on a serious note, I guess I, I would say it's sad that to think that if this album came out today, the lyrical content would be just as topical as it was back then. Unfortunately. Ooh. Hey, this is Rob here. And yeah, this is my first listen. I'm excited to talk more about the predator. It feels like this album was designed to scare white people. And if that in fact was its goal, I think it succeeded. <laughs> yeah and so this is tom i'll be leading us through this journey here and uh my review is just ice cube goes hard that man he he should have written tom petty's i don't back down i won't back down because he very clearly knows he's courting controversy and leans into it about as hard as one could possibly lean into something and uh i really respect that so let's get into just a little bit about ice cube Born O'Shea Jackson in 1969 in Westmont, the Westmont area of L.A., which you will note is not Compton. So 
Oh, Become shit. relevant later on. Ice Cube wow. is a liar. <laughs> <laughs> if you take anything away from this, that is the thing. Ice. <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, listen, super quick. He had a brother and he had a half sister who, when he was 12 years old, his half sister was murdered. So oh that God. is um, going to give you an idea that he probably had a different upbringing than we did. And maybe sure. that might be part of the reason why we lack context for some of the subject matter of these songs. But what's, what is Ice Cube most famous for? What's he most known for? He was a member of the seminal gangster rap group N.W.A. They basically created an entire sound, this West Coast gangster rap sound entirely came out of the sort of mind of N.W.A. And the thing that I actually did not know, Ice Cube wrote almost all of the lyrics for all of the N.W.A. songs. He wrote Easy es lyrics. He wrote Dr. Dre's lyrics. He was the main lyricist. And the subject matter of N.W.A. is what sort of set them apart and the approach that they took and the hard edge that they had. And I kind of assumed that Easy e and Dr. Dre were equally collaborating on that aspect of it, but apparently that's not the case. Apparently this was all driven by Ice Cube. That's not surprising, actually, as I was listening to this, because one of the notes I had was, and you know, something that didn't really occur to me back in the day when hearing this stuff on MTV, was that he is much more of an effective storyteller than I thought. <laughs> like He really paints a picture, and so the fact that he wrote those lyrics for NWA, that sounds like a lot of... Uh, you know, volume to, to crank out, but he seems very well uh, suited for it. Yeah. And it, so, you know, for the listeners out there that don't know, massively successful rap group that fell apart relatively quickly, basically over money. And some of the stuff that we're going to bring up here is going to be prophetic and subject matter that we talk about later, which is basically that, it's a very, very acrimonious relationship with the members of NWA. Both Dr. Dre and Ice Cube ended up hating Eazy-E and specifically the band's manager, this guy named Jerry Heller, who they basically say, and he was like, Jerry Heller was like a famous agent. He represented a lot of people, band manager for a long time, was right in the beginning of that sort of hip hop scene, but also was sort of operating a little bit more in that old school, like I'll give you twenty dollars for all your songs, sport type of uh, uh, yeah. yeah type of mode. And Billy, so, what's it, Barry Goldstein? Barry Gordy. The, <laughs> Barry Gordy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Barry Gordy model. Marriott manager Jerry definitely gets some shout outs on this record, but I feel I'm intimately familiar with him from the song Dre Day, which is I feel like. <laughs> Talks a lot about what they want to do to him. Is, is he the yeah. guy in the beginning that wants to, that to keep saying they can get a big screen TV and all that shit? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, fuck that guy. Well, and apparently the <laughs> apparently the way that that relationship went down is that Jerry Heller was basically like, you know what? I think Easy E is the guy. I think Easy E is like the star of this group. So I am gonna like I'm just gonna get really close with Easy E. I'm gonna do everything that's gonna like get him keep him happy and then i will basically screw over the other guys like it got to the point where like uh ice cube was the guy who wrote almost all of the lyrics and they presented him with a contract that basically said he was not an official member of nwa and that Jeez. he was just like a contributor and uh Jeez, apparently like rough. he wrote basically everything for easy ease debut solo album and they paid him like $32,000 or something like that for it which is like that's a lot of money but it's not a lot of but money that's if, nothing, when you're talking about right yeah. 
talking about Easy E record sale money in early '90s. That's Jeez, nothing. Jeez, yeah. Although I would have to think in the making of a hip hop album, there's so many elements of production that you know you're paying out sample, you know, royalties potentially in 92 although you know i don't know how much that was but it does seem like the production costs of a old school hip-hop album are probably pretty high but yeah that seems like not enough yeah but if you're writing the hooks of a song like i mean that's the song like you know yeah i think this music lives and dies on lyrics so i I think that's a fair fair assessment i was just gonna say if anyone doesn't know the story of nwa i really thought the movie, the recent movie, Straight Outta Compton, was a great movie. And one of the things that I, I really liked about it, just to show that genre really doesn't matter, is that it really was just a story about a band in a lot of ways. So I, I related to it on a lot of those levels, and I thought it was a fun a fun watch about their rise and breakup, as Tom just mentioned. Yeah. So, you know, give Ice Cube a lot of credit. He was in this hugely successful band, and then he basically says, screw it, going out on my own. And he then, in three years, put out three hugely successful and influential solo albums, the last of which was The Predator. So he put out America's Most Wanted, and America has three Ks in it, in case you were wondering, which is a really great album. Sounds a little bit more like one foot in the 80s, one foot in the 90s, but like a really good album. After that, he put out Death Certificate, America's Most Wanted went platinum. Death Certificate went platinum. And then he put out The Predator, which also went platinum. In between then, he he also put out an EP, which was the first rap EP to ever go platinum as well. So basically, in a three-year period, he had four platinum offerings that wow. he put out, which is, like, insanely prolific. Can we can we make another draw another line here just to cross genres? Is that I'm not intimately familiar with NWA's catalog, but I've listened to Strata Compton uh, several times, and it feels like to our point of Ice Cube being a major creative force there. It feels like he carried that torch very effectively. In other words, this these records seem to have a very similar tone, mm-hmm. and that reminded me a little bit of Donald Fagan branching out from Steely Dan for the huh. Nightfly. Right. So really, yeah. they're two like peas could, in a you pod. Could, you could see who the driving, yeah, the, the driving creative force, right? Just they go and they fully realize their potential. They fully realize their vision once they get out of the band. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, listen, not to in any way talk shit on Dr. Dre. He went and created an entire subgenre of gangster rap with his whole G-Funk style after that. I mean, you know, stealing Parliament songs and putting slow rap over it. His songs were less message-driven. And I was I was very surprised at how, like, still super political and super, like, slice of life in a world that I don't understand these lyrics were. Yeah, this definitely felt like a, almost like a social artifact from a period of time that, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into the, you know, LA riots and the timing of this album and all that, but it almost felt like a, social commentary that was a lot of kind of first first person experience yeah. historical document almost right yes yeah. yeah i think so to tell you how unfamiliar i am when i was clicking around and i clicked on the wikipedia article for gangster rap right and it said it was originally <laughs> referred to <laughs> hey what is this uh hang on what's this gangster rapage that it was originally called i think reality rap 
or it was originally coined, like it had a couple names before it, it kind of hit mainstream and it was that slice of life, the reality of, of the whole scenario. So <laughs> I'd love to be walking behind somebody at work. Who's like Googling gangster rap. You just get a glance at their computer and they're like, <laughs> well, actually just to be honest, a second ago I typed in the chronic into my search bar to see when that album came out and Google autofilled the Chronicles of Narnia. So, <laughs> <laughs> So um, talking, uh, we're talking about like sort of how prolific Ice Cube was. Put out this like four platinum offerings in a three-year period. Also during this period, he was one of the main characters in the movie Boys in the Hood, which came out in 1991. So that was also Damn. a seminal movie, really yeah. big movie. And he was lauded for his performance. He did quite well as Doughboy who is, you know, one of the characters who is sort of uh, living the life. Cuba Gooding Jr. is the kid who's kind of, like, straddling both sides of the life, doesn't really want to be in it. And I, so I went back and I watched, like, the trailer for it, and they basically are, like, Boys in the Hood starring Ice Cube and Larry Fishburne. And, like, that's it. They're not, there's no Cuba Gooding Jr. There's, like, they're just, there's, like, Ice Cube and Larry Fishburne. He was excellent in that movie. Like my memories of that movie are, are basically he is in like half. Like I feel like he is the movie. Like obviously there were other con contributors and it was just a great film. But yeah, there's no way to think about that movie and not immediately just connect him to it. Well, you know, like listen, it's no Shanghai surprise, right? Like he came out and he actually put out a very good first offering. He made that transition over, and then you know, just like as a digression, he went hard on the acting side of things, I did not realize that he was the writer and executive producer of Friday and that entire Friday series. I didn't realize he wrote that, but like that, that became a franchise. There's like seven of them or something like that. That first Friday movie is, I mean, Boys in the Hood's great topical movie. Friday's a great comedy. I mean, I, think it is. Kinda, I haven't watched it in a little while, but I've, it still held up not too long ago. Was that like, I think it was Chris Tucker's breakout yeah, in Friday yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, sure. fantastic movie. So he wrote that movie with DJ Pooh, who is his you know longtime collaborator. He collaborated with him heavily on this album as well. So um, I just thought that was like super interesting, and it goes to show that like somebody who is intelligent, somebody who's business savvy, and somebody who's just got an undeniable motor can really accomplish a lot. It's not specific to like, oh, I can just rap. I can't do anything else. He can rap. He can act. He can do the business side of things with the production. Like he's a, he's a, he's a with it dude. You forgot about Anaconda, which I think is probably <laughs> one. of. <laughs> well, okay. Listen, he was in Anaconda. Yes. Clearly Did he, write he that was one in, too? he was he, at one point he was triple X after Vin Diesel stepped away from that. Oh, role oh for my a period. God. I forgot about that. Yes. He was in that movie, Action Star. Three Kings, which is a really underrated oh, with movie. George Clooney. Yeah, George Clooney man. and uh, Marky Mark. Wal yeah, yeah, Wahlberg, right. Yeah. Wow, dude, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. And then Shit, man. All right. he was also in Are We There Yet? <laughs> he's in what? Are We There Yet? Are we which there? is like the family movie where he's like driving his girlfriend's kids across the country. So he's in that movie. <laughs> in and an RV. Also <laughs> spawned a like you know like 50 episode tv series that he was also in so like his his image has evolved a bit over time shall we say i thought you were gonna say he's in armageddon and and i was gonna <laughs> hang out this, call, this call. 
So listen, you know, we're going to jump back to we're going to jump back to uh, 1992. Okay, Ice Cube on top of the world. He's starting Boys in the Hood. Did quite well. People love him. He has put out two previous platinum albums and one platinum uh, EP on top of the world. However, there are some controversies surrounding him. Talk a little bit about how he got into trouble on his last, his previous album before this one, Death Certificate, for the lyrical content. And I'm going to shock you people here. Some people thought he was a bit misogynistic. He very specifically had two songs that he got into trouble for. And one was that song, No Vaseline, which uh, you guys are, I'm sure, aware of what that is an allusion to. Basically, the entire song is about how, like, Easy e and MC Ren are in a relationship, and MC Ren's the bottom and Easy es the top. Uh, he goes after Jerry Heller pretty hard for being Jewish and being greedy and stealing all of his money. And, uh, yeah, people were not super happy about that. He also put out another song in there called Black Korea. And so this came out in 91, and it's basically talking about, like, how black people and Korean store owners hate each other. And one of the lines in there, he basically says, you better respect the black fist or we'll burn your store right down to a crisp. This is pre LA riots. And like, he's, but again, it's slice of life. Like he was, yeah, he was like, this is what's going to happen at some point. Something's going to set it off and we're going to start fighting each other. And less than a year later, you had people burning down the, you know, the corner stores and Korean store owners on the roof, shooting to people that were coming to their stores. It's, uh, Yeah, it's uh, it was, again, somewhat prophetic. Yeah, I mean, you can listen to any of his songs and understand why people might have thought he was a little misogynistic. But that fed a lot of the subject matter of this album. So he did not, again, did not shy away from it. Really attacked it head on. He leaned into Definitely leaned into it. Yeah. Yeah. But let's roll a song first. This is the one song on the album that I think everybody's probably really familiar with. We're just going to roll a quick song, and then we're going to talk about general impressions. So if there is a song in this album you've heard before, I am sure it it might be the only Ice Cube song that a lot of people can name. It was It Was a Good Day. So let's roll a second of that right now. Adam, cue it up for me. What do you think of this song? What do you think of the album? Yeah. So what? first off, what's the uh, the sample on this one? That is the Isley Brothers song, Footsteps in the Dark. Got it. Because it's badass. Oh, it's uh, and, <laughs> and yeah, I, it not so this is not the first tune on the album, but it's a good flavor. You know, if you were going to pick a song, and I guess this is probably "quote unquote" the hit, maybe. This is. I think my, this is the biggest hit on the album. Also, Ice Cube has described this as his favorite song that he has written. I feel like really? this might All be right. one of the biggest songs in in '90s hip hop. Like, yeah, and that yeah. So that's where I'm coming from. That I questioned whether or not this was the hit. So you, as you could probably tell, I'm not super familiar with the uh, hip hop gangster rap catalog here. Great tune, man. It's 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 pretty pretty intense at times. But 
I dug it for what it is. Well, I feel like half the time listening to this back in, you know, so I guess I we we were probably all in middle school by that point. I'm I'm presuming and. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, all of it was through the radio cut or the MTV cut, and so I, I didn't know what imagine. half the shit was. Right. I was going to say, how does the radio cut of this? I'm sure I could find it on here. How did that even? They didn't happen? even. Bother. I think some words they didn't bother to like <laughs> overdub. Just, it was just a like a word was gone. Yeah. Just con or where they reversed and it's just and it's just <laughs> the entire song is that. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, this is definitely a flagship song, flagship song of the '90s for me. I feel like. F- fucked around and got a triple double is like the most enduring line from a song like of all time. I was actually reading somewhere that some people think that line may have like popularized the triple double as a like viable statistic. Like it's something they've always tracked, but no one really gave a shit about it until around feel free this to, time. Feel free to explain that to our listeners. Ah, uh, yeah. So a triple double yeah, for our listeners, not for me, because <laughs> I'm completely familiar with all sports, but just for the listeners, please. So a, a triple double is when you get to double digits in three different statistical categories in the game of basketball invented by Canadian James Naismith. <laughs> ah, thank you for the uninitiated. So that would be like rebounds, assists and points, right? God. Usually, but there have been people, you know, freaks like Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal who was also referenced on this album, who, you know, maybe they get him in blocks or steals yeah, or, steals, you know, but it's yeah. usually points, rebounds, assists. So this, Tom, it took me a minute. My computer's being slow, but this song does have one of my favorite lines. One of my favorite lines on the album, which is, "I felt on the big fat fanny, pulled out the jammy, and killed the punani." <laughs> and I think the use of punani is really, really quite lovely in this context, in comparison with the Steven Seagal album, which we referenced at one point. He also talks about punani potentially destroying it, but I feel like this is <laughs> this is much more. Uh, much more in the vein of of when that term should be. To be fair, used. Steven Seagal talks about the Brunei. He's like doing a weird. He can't open his mouth. Jamaican guy accent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, he's so terrible. <laughs> I my my thoughts on this. This has, song has great summer barbecue vibes. It's a seminal song for sure. It's a lot of fun. I will say though, for someone who is entering this album and this is the only song they've heard, which was effectively me at the beginning of last week. It's not a good indication of what the rest of the album is like. So if you're hoping for more lighthearted hits that you can oh, play at the barbecue, summer. yeah, no, not so much. I do have a quick tip that's going to become a comment on the sample. It's going to become relevant to my criticisms of some of the other tracks, which is this sample is a great sample. And one of the reasons it works so well is because it's a full four bars of music which gives you a lot more room. And within that full four bars of the sample, it has its own peak and resolution, which means I don't mind it going on for the entirety of the song. And what we're going to find in a lot of the other songs is they sample one bar of music and they keep it going for three and a half or four and a half minutes. And that gets grating at a point, no matter how good that one bar is. So that's 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 my comment there, that I think this is a very good find, this Isley Brothers song. I also realized that when I found out this was an Isley Brothers song, this is just a gap in my knowledge as well, but I thought of the Isley Brothers as a 60s Temptations-like totally. band who sang Shout yep. and you know a few other hits like kind of like that. But then I guess they had a reinvention in the 70s as a more smooth R&B band. So th- this is kind of a jam of a song, Footsteps in the Dark, I have to admit. I hadn't heard that song before. Yeah, Rob, I um, kind of specifically picked this song 
as the like, hey, let's set the table song because I wanted the viewer, the the <laughs> listeners to experience kind of what I experienced, which was that this album came in and was jarring on that first track. Which yeah. was like, damn. Oh, I was not expecting it, and so you know, just wanted to sort of set the the table with this, which is a very well constructed, nice song. So, a couple of things about this song: the pace of the song for the a, a song with the concept of I'm going to tell a story about my day, the way that this song is paced with the sample being as slow as it is and having as much space as it does allows you to be able to pick out the words that he's saying and you can follow the narrative flow of his story very well. He also doesn't really do that thing that happens a lot of time in rap where they're just kind of making up words as slang to rhyme with things or like so layered with this like very insular like super you know only the people within your three blocks know what this slang is type of of statement and like you kind of lose a lot of the meaning there this is a very straightforward song you can really get the meaning behind it and it's it's really well done it's a smart move to do that so apparently this song is about january 20th 1992 that is what the uh the internet has decided because it was the only day that <laughs> it was a clear day in Los Angeles. Ah, Yo MTV yep. Raps was aired that day. The Lakers beat the Supersonics. Ice Cube had no public appearances on his schedule. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's like, yeah, he There's just had a day to himself to do whatever he wanted and, to. And nobody got killed? Well, was it, or none of his none, friends no, got killed or got something? Killed, yes. Yeah. Um, oh, got it. Oh, also, got it. Mama cooked the breakfast without hog. I recall no hog on yes. that day. So this is one of those internet detective things. Is that why you're you're it's giving it that day? Detective thing. Yeah. Wait, you're saying is. there w- there was actually a day where there was no smog in L.A. and the Lakers did beat the Supersonics. Yes, and Yo MTV Raps also aired, and Ice wow. Cube did not have any commitments. So one of the reasons <laughs> I bring it up that is interesting that it is. Uh, January 20th of 1992 is because April 26th of 1992, he married Kimberly Woodruff, who he is still married to to this day, and they have four children together. So that begs the question, is Kimberly Woodruff the girl he wants to dig out (laughs) that he got the call from? Or is she the one that he wanted to, "Mm," since the 12th grade? Yeah. Was that consumption or conception day? One wonders, like, (laughs) was she just cool with that? Did they meet really quick? Like, did they meet in like March and had like a whirlwind romance or something like that? I can. I'm picturing Tom in a room with like a wall size map of LA and like the string (laughs) tying to the different things and the stick it notes with the dates. He's like, wait a minute, count back nine months. It's like that always sunny meme with Charlie where he's like finding Pepe Sylvia. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's transition from talking about this song. We talked about the album a little bit generally. Um, Brace yourselves, dear listeners, because this album comes at you hard. And it has, it has the, the track ordering is quite good on it. But we are going to jump into not the first song. We're going to skip over the minute and a half preamble of like what it's like to go to prison. And we're going to kick right into the song, When Will They Shoot? Walking, walking in my big black boots. Fuck it, dude. 
yeah, this feels like it's, I mean, kind of the joke about the general airing of grievances. And maybe I missed if there was a specific <laughs> message, but this kind of felt like just a whole lot of what he's responding to from the previous album and people that are coming at him. It's just the one that mentions the sheriff who, I guess, sent sent his cops to surround the recording studio. I know there was one of them that did that. But yeah, man, this this tune goes hard, dude. I'm still reeling from your re, your recasting of this as a Festivus album. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so which song is the feats of strength? Well, and so I, I also had a thought, too, that they say you have a lifetime to write your first album, and then you've got, what is it, six months or a year to write your second album. And I feel like in this genre that it's it feeds its own content, right? So you, you release an album, and there's backlash, and there's people who hate it, and there's there's these different, you know, tribal fights and everything. So then your next album is responding to those and then you release that one and then people get angry at that one and then you release right so it's this kind of like ongoing back and forth it only works for rappers and taylor swift right (laughs) right like john denver can't get away with this uh (laughs) of of releasing stuff and then getting blowback from the the uh the critics and and the guys next door so it was it was interesting uh just to to listen to this album overall and get that vibe as well that that a lot of it is Again, airing of grievances. All right, you said this. Here's my next cannonball across the across the wall there. Yeah, I thought this was a smoking like intro track, even though there's a sort of interlude or which <clears throat> as a side note, I actually thought with a lot of these hip hop albums, I'll I'll be perfectly honest, I'm not that into the interludes or the inserts, I think is is what they called them here. I thought the ones here were really well done. Um I thought they all like even the way they did some of the voiceover that it, it, it stayed with the beat in a way that made it sound like a spoken word kind of thing or, you know, something like that. Um, so anyway, I thought the inserts were pretty good too, but yeah, this is just a killer welcome to the jungle style, like opening track (laughs) off an album that I think just, just kicks ass. I think he samples himself a few times in this. He does that a lot on this album. Actually, he samples himself a good amount from his previous two albums. (laughs) Well, he also, and I don't think, I don't know if I realize this, if this is something specific to that era of, you know, gangster rap, but there's a lot of name dropping of contemporary artists. Like there's, you know, he's talking about like En Vogue and Cypress Hill and, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, they sampled Belle Bib DeVoe, which only came out a year or two. Oh yeah. Right. Right. And he talks about OPP. En Vogue. Uh, Doesn't he hit an En Vogue? Ghetto Boys. He's like, and like in, that, in Vogue, you're never gonna get right, it. Right, right. And that that's <laughs> that uh the line where he samples that slick Rick song where he's like, My motto is treat him like a prostitute. <laughs> like, yeah. Which is from the song Treat Him Like a Prostitute. Wait, and you, did wait, did you say earlier the old white ladies didn't like this? Yeah, seriously. I don't understand no. why. <laughs> Freaking out suburban squares. Doing a pretty effective job. But Alan, <laughs> to your point that those little interlude skits did kind of center me because listening to this it's it's hard for somebody who's not used to this style of music and for me to write it off is like oh my god he's just being he's just so out there he's over the top and then these little interludes like oh shit this is what was going on as he's writing this album like this is real stuff so i i totally agree with you that it kind of brought me back into this world 
this this uh, this day in the life kind of thing of, of these guys. Yeah, it was like a nice connective tissue, I felt like, between a lot of these tracks, you know, especially since a lot of it was just pulled right from, yeah, I think one of them was from like a talk show or something. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, I thought they gave a lot of helpful context for the topical nature of what he was writing about. I got to admit, the first thing I thought when this track kicked in was surprise, but mostly it was this rocks. He's got the We Will Rock You drum beat. Totally. And his delivery is kind of very rock and roll, to be honest. So it's it's aggressive, yes, but it, it comes at you hard and fast. And I, I like this song a lot. I thought this was one of the better songs on the record. I thought I had some of the best lines. I don't know if we want to transition into, into the lines. But I was going to say that throughout this, and including you know, using the interludes as somewhat of a guidepost, also listening to the lyrics, of course, I didn't need to reference dates to know that he was talking about the L.A. riots and in, in the court case, the Rodney King police officers being acquitted court case in an extremely topical fashion. I mean, he's turning this stuff out. Those riots were in 1992, right? They were April, yeah, April 29th, I believe, and this came out in November. This is wow. crazy. That's crazy turnaround right there. And pretty yeah. much ev- almost every song is on that topic. So he's, yeah, or at least referencing that topic. Well, and one thing that seems crazy about the the Rodney King piece, which I feel like it seems insane to think about now, was that that jury was basically all white people, except for, I think, maybe one Asian American. But, like, I don't even know how that is possible to, like, assemble In Los a Angeles, jury of that. Right? Yeah, it's just... It seems really particularly egregious. Yeah, it had to do with the jurisdiction, which he calls out several times of Simi Valley, right? Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. It's not like they had the trial in South Central. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't in Watts. It was, uh, yeah. Man, I got to tell you, he really, this, I agree with you. This song comes out as aggressive. It rocks. There's a little, like, distortion on the samples and on his vocals that does give it that kind of rock element to it. But man, he, again, he goes hard at the, the controversy. Like, okay, you just put out an album where you're, you're accused of being anti-Semitic. You're accused of being misogynistic for like most of your career. And in the opening track, you basically referenced Hitler at what he's like, you know, What's the line he says? He's like, um, don't say the J word. I can't I can't read the lines leading up to it. There's going to be lots of lines in this that I cannot necessarily read. Yeah, let's just say, don't say the J word. I thought they was bugging because to us, Uncle Sam is Hitler without an oven, burning our black skin by my neighborhood, then push the crack in, which is like. That's really topical. And like, hey, who I, references Hitler? Yeah, that was songs? awesome. I singled that out as one of the best lines. It's delivered perfectly. It's got great rhythm to it and has the little dropout in there. Oh, that dropout is is so effective. So cool. Yeah. That that like kind of shocked me even. I was like, oh damn. Oh yeah, totally. It's uh, it it really does touch on things that are like again I I put me in the mindset of somebody whose life is getting picked apart in the media 
where they're like, oh, Ice Cube is anti-Semitic and he's misogynistic. And he talks about like, you know, had dinner with Farrakhan and people ask him, I met Farrakhan and had a dinner and he asked me if I'm a five percenter, which is like a like a Nation of Islam thing. It's, it's almost like a more I say militant form of the Nation of Islam. But like just being put in that mindset of like having to answer to people constantly asking you questions about your life all the time, it must be really annoying. And I could see wanting to write a track that just basically tells everybody to, you know, <laughs> to go fuck themselves. Which I mean, literally, like one of the tracks on here is just called uh, "Fuck 'em." One of the inserts, <laughs> which, I, <laughs> which I very much appreciate. It's just like a litany of people, and it's just like "Fuck 'em, fuck 'em." <laughs> I thought this had some of the best lines. I thought it had some of the best dynamics. It rocked, as we said. You know, they used the samples effectively, dropped some, some things in and out to create some dynamics. Another line I just really loved was his rhyming of assassin with push your ass in. It's, <laughs> it's well done. <laughs> I, like, I like that a lot. That's pretty but good. But, like, yeah. the, the lines that are leading up to that are really, again, they're very topical and kind of controversial because he talks about, like, when they want to kill a prominent black person, they just they hire somebody who's even blacker to kill them. And that's what he's talking about with this sort of Negro assassin line. What is the line where he says, because uh, I like Nat, Huey, Malcolm, and Lewis. Most got done by a black man's bullet. Give a trigger to and watch him pull it. Negro assassin, I'm going to dig a ditch, bitch, and throw your ass in. Like That's like that's like a real topic that that is pretty controversial to talk about i think especially if you are a member of the nation of islam i think a lot of those people think that that was a setup and that it wasn't actually a another nation of islam person that killed malcolm that it was you know he was killed by the cia type of thing um anyway very controversial very topical any final comments on this song which i feel like uh again we're all probably extraordinarily unqualified to comment on <laughs> i mean Four guys sitting around discussing a gangster rap. I don't have much much more to offer on that song. Yeah. All right. I and I and I, I give a hard R in my gangster rap. <laughs> gangster. It gangsta. It's gangster. Yes, totally. Totally. So we're gonna jump on to the next song again. Just ripped right out of the headlines. We had to tear this motherfucker up. Make it rough. to you rob what what were your thoughts on this one yeah i liked it initially because in the first part of this song i it really reminded me of what i liked about the wu-tang for instance on a production level they're using that cool bass sample not sure where that came from it had that slightly grimy production element that i that drew me to some of the early wu-tang stuff but by the time it got to the second verse i needed more additive i needed more added to that this is an example of a one-bar sample that can't 
hold up an entire song. You need more dynamics. You need to add something to it. You need to connect it to another piece. You need to do more dynamic dropouts. You know, we don't have a single here, in my opinion. So while that that bass sample is from a Gene Russell song called Get Down, and the drums are from a song by The Emotions called Blind Alley. And I think that one of the things you're pointing out is that, like, that's not even the full phrasing of that bass sample. They cut off, and it like kind of does that weird sort of hitch loop in the middle there, which almost like when it first came in, I was like, how are they going to make this work? And then the drums come in. I'm like, oh, okay, that works. But it's not – it doesn't flow very well. It is still pretty jarring, and not just jarring when it comes in, but like repeatedly jarring as it repeats. It sounded like an upright bass to me. I don't know if that is like obvious, but that's – it kind of came out. I don't know if that's like some old kind of jazz jazz tune, but yes, Gene Russell was like uh, you know a guy. He like, he was like born in the '30s, so it's like it's an old old jazz tune. Interestingly, like the producer on this song is DJ Muggs, who was also in Cypress Hill. Did a lot of production work for Cypress Hill, and I feel like it was smart of Ice Cube to do this sort of like bring in a couple of different producers to give you kind of a different sound on some of these songs because like Cypress Hill does a lot of that kind of like lo-fi jazz sampling over the super aggressive lyrics and uh yeah I, I think it gave it a little bit of a a change in the flavor Alan what you, did you think it worked you think it didn't work yeah I'm, I'm a little more sort of with Rob on this one where you know it's hard to <laughs> there's a lot of social commentary happening in this song. It's obviously like an explicit response to, you know, the LA riots. So I I feel weird even offering like musical criticisms over something that I think was meant to be, you know, more of a statement, but musically speaking, it, it it wasn't like a fun listen. It wasn't, you know, I I didn't really derive much um, musical enjoyment out of it necessarily. Also, you know, took, took account of the, um, upright bass sample which i think was kind of cool but you know again i kind of go back to with songs like this where like it's hard to it's hard to not acknowledge that like so much of this shit is still hasn't changed and so like again like i think that that like anger would still you know manifest itself today but as a as a song that one listens to for enjoyment i i didn't i didn't particularly care for it so this song took me on a journey and I actually went, and this is pretty morbid, but I actually went and rewatched the Rodney King footage, which for those of you who in the in the audience may be young enough, I might I might be a stretch, but uh, you know Rodney King. I mean, he was nearly beaten to death by a group of Los Angeles police officers, and right they 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 let him go, not even a slap on the wrist. And this is Cube's take on it. He said, "Well, guess what." We're going to destroy this place. And in addition to that, I think it's extremely... This one and one other one stuck with me the most because of how aggressive it is in that he says things like, I'm sure we could find the addresses of the jury, you know? And he's calling out the police officers by name and saying, like, we're going to find you and we're going to kill you. And then we're going to stick a broom up your... Like, I mean, it is raw, and it was th- this one stuck with me. This one did something to me. And and uh, uh, Rob, you had mentioned right art and music. You you want to be anything but apathetic, and this one, this one just shook me. Uh, so yeah, man, it it was it was rough. <laughs> I th- I think, and then this is sort of my 
encapsulated review for the album too. He's lyrically really strong and it's intense. And I agree. It took me on a journey and called a lot of disturbing societal images to mind. And I agree with Alan that, you know, we're still obviously in a similar place. Sadly, that said, I think he proved on a couple of the other tracks that he, they could musically pull these things together and ride this line between a really effective use of a sample or a groove with a political statement, which even today's was a good day is an example of that to me. You know, it's, it's a feel good song and yet there's still plenty of political commentary in there. So that's, that's why I'm holding it to account. That's my only point, but I think lyrically he's consistently strong. That's a a great point, Rob. I, I also made note of like what seemed like on this album in general, like a juxtaposition between hardcore, you know, social and political commentary versus weaving that into songs that sound good. You know, there I think they're like half the album is really, you know, melodic and and sort of sampled well and well produced. And then the other half some of that's there, but it's just raw in a way that, you know, I thought a lot about Rage Against the Machine, you know, when I listened to this, where it's just dense with references to historical figures and events, you know, where people have been kind of screwed over. But I feel like the way they do it, none of it, I, I couldn't listen to a Rage song and be like, eh, it just didn't sound great. Like, it's all just kind of chock full of of musical backbone. And I, and I definitely didn't think that was there throughout this entire album in the same way. Well, one wonders if this is, um, you know, there's the the title first songwriting um, that happens in rock music a lot, where it's like, I got a title for a hook. But I, I think that a lot of this came about from him just being like, I want to talk about this topic. I'm going to write about this topic. That's the most important thing to me is to like talk and write about this topic. And, you know, to judge it by the same measuring stick that we, we judge a lot of albums by, which is like, does this album have like three or four bangers on it? Absolutely does. And does this album then does is the rest of the album like pretty good or like not terrible? Then yeah, I think it's a pretty good album at that point, right? So like I think that this is like if we're talking about this being a low point, and I agree that this is one of the lower points in the album for me from a listener enjoyment standpoint. But I, I, I have to be on the same side as, as Adam with just like I mean, this would be a this would be a ballsy move today to write a song where you name check specific police officers and say, I'm going to find you and kill you. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a pretty, I'm again, laughing. It's Cause raw. it's, it, as you say it, it's hilarious, but he did it 30 years ago. So yeah. Yeah. And it didn't hurt his career at all. Right. And I, I have a question for you guys. All right. There's the, there's the line, Adam, you uh, referenced it before. And he's like, surely somebody knows the address of the jury. Pay a little visit. Who is it? And then there's this like sample that goes, who is Ice Cube? Is that like a weird like Jeopardy reference? Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why would he say who is Ice Cube? It kind of doesn't sound like it's him. And maybe it's maybe he's just huh? like sampling him from another song saying who was ice cube but i was definitely like that seems like a weird like veiled jeopardy reference there i'll take threatening rappers for 400 (laughs) he's at your door you're on a jury uh who is ice cube ding 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 (laughs) all right yeah that's that's probably what happened (laughs) that's pretty good (laughs) all right uh yeah yeah again I, i undeniably powerful message behind it could have been presented better i can dig that yeah 
let's move on to a, a song that uh, I question the message behind this song. I, I just don't <laughs> understand where this is coming from. What, what, Tom, go. what song are you talking about? Uh, no, it's not Gangsta's Fairy Tale. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm going to go to Don't Trust Him. Ah, yes. Mm. Let's roll it. You can't trust a big butt and a smile. No, that's the old style. And I need mean, shit ain't quite the same. Bitches got a brand new game, yo. It's kind of hard to see. But the dating game ain't what it used to be. Back in the day, if a hoe wanted your dough, she'd give you a piece of ass and there it go. Or get knocked up and then she gets socked up. You'll be broken, locked up. But the new done hit. Bitches all over on some new improved shit. To all y'all max. So I, I think that my new favorite uh, pastime is going to be putting this song on in the car and seeing if people that I know can pick up on the sample. Because <laughs> uh, who, wa- who, wa- who wants to talk about this one first? You guys can dive right into that. <laughs> on the text string, I, I did pick out that I called it wrong, though. I said it was gold earrings. It's green earrings. One of the things, so this song's kind of hilarious, also a little weird, but it if we're going to go on that musical sample thing, in the actual Steely Dan song, there is movement in the music in that little chord pattern, and then it drops down a whole step uh, routinely throughout the song. Mm-hmm. He could have so very easily also dropped down a whole step just to give it a little change. I know that there's a breakdown in the middle where there's some horns and some things are different, but just cranking on that same chord and pattern to me got a little a little grating. I just first of all, let's just take a a quick break and just realize that Ice Cube sampled Steely Dan. <laughs> that is exciting on on its own. And like, I was legitimately excited badass. by not a Steely Dan A side. This probably wasn't right. even released on a B-side. This is like right. deep cut, I, royal scam stealing. Exactly. I love, 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 love the idea. I'm thinking about picturing Ice Cube listening to the royal scam, my favorite Steely Dan record, and getting to side two and hearing Green Earring. So bravo, Ice Cube, like, for that. This, this is pretty dope. <laughs> I bet I can make a song about how women want to rob me for my money about this. Right, right, yeah. Totally fits thematically. But yeah, it's another example of a one-bar sample that gets it gets a little old even for my 70s rock-loving ears. Is uh, My question was, this whole, this details a story about, you know, basically being lured in by a woman who's who is trickerous. And then getting robbed uh, by guys in ski masks. And like, is this based on a true story? Because if so, Jesus Christ. I mean, I think not, because at the end he says that they murder you. Because uh, what's the line he basically says to take out the, put you in the trunk, in take you out to a desert yeah. and put, put two in the head or something like that? Right. Yeah. I do wonder what the sample size is for that specific event happening. Because, you know, <laughs> it, has that happened before? I'm certain of it, but... You know, it's not, it doesn't sound like it, like an epidemic. It sounds like he's made a handy blueprint for would-be robbers or kidnappers <laughs> right. here. I I like the idea that this guy is so horny. He's going to come back at 8 in the morning, is it? Or is it 8 at night? Because the girl says, like, I'm not in the mood or I got a headache or I got to go do something. Come back at 8. I'm not sure if it's a.m. or p.m., but she's nice enough to wait for her son to go to sleep mm. so that he can. <laughs> Uh, wait, wait, it, I, I, that is great. It, but right after that, he says, "Exhibit number one on Ice Cube's misogyny is uh, his line around that that comment was, you thought you had a wholesome hoe.'" <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, I also, I just had, I had to do a bitch count in this song. Ooh. I mean, it's funny because I complained about Nature's Way having a Nature's Way every 7.5 seconds in the song. There are 33 bitches in this song, which equates to a bitch every 7.5 seconds. Did you do like a control F on the lyrics site (laughs) to to come with that? It's a new segment by the numbers. It is. I mean, really, like, uh, I mean, the the chorus is basically just going, bitch, bitch, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I'm not a misogynist. What are you talking about? Bitch. (laughs) Yeah, it's very little rancor for the ski mask individuals who threw him in the trunk, by the way. (laughs) Good point. Right. He's mad at the. Look, they're just and doing the woman, their job, and, man. They're just the woman at least had sex with them first, right? right. <laughs> they're just contractors, man. They're just waiting for their ten ninety nine. They're hired guns. To, come on, right? Uh, Alan, trying to make a living here. Just for you as well, they uh, they also sampled uh, Seahorns Farm by the Meters on this uh, on the nice. song. So that's the other sample wow. that's laid on top of the uh, green earring, which might have been the reason why they couldn't do the drop down a whole step green earring part because it would have ah. clashed with the other sample that they had in there. Because this is, we must note, pre the days where you can just plug a sample on a computer and make it in whatever key you want and do whatever the right. hell you want with it. These are yeah. like, I just have this clip and I probably had to like record it to like some kind of weird drum machine loop tape thing and then, you know, press a button to fire it off and much more complicated process back in the day. I also love the reference to, uh, they drop a Belle DeVoe reference. I think we talked about it earlier. Like, can't trust a big butt and a smile that like leads the song off. This kind of. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it's cool. in the, uh, cause there's a, there's even that time where later on in the song, um, they, uh, instead of the, you can't trust a big butt and a smile. They had, you can't trust a bitch. <laughs> and like cut it out and say bitch. Afterwards. <laughs> and they repeat that like three or four times. We're just like, you can't trust a bitch. <laughs> And this is this is one of those ones where like listen, I like to listen to these albums a lot when I'm doing the you know the weekly run up to this and I would like pick my daughter up from school and have this playing in the car and be like, I gotta I gotta turn this off. I can't have you listening to this stuff. Yeah, this was the one album I had to like hide out and, and you know, find some actual time to listen instead of preparing dinner. Well, if you wanted to have something your kids could listen to Lucky you, because Good there's transition. a song on here called Gangsta's <laughs> Fairy Tale 2, which uh, is the second installment. And I like the the intro where <laughs> oh the kid. Oh, my God. Lil just, Russ. Lil Russ. Lil Russ. All right. I always make fun of Tina. Like, I, I say that people who were born and raised in Hawaii, they begin and end their sentences with, yeah. They'll be like, yeah, you want to go to the beach, yeah? Like, <laughs> Lil Russ begins and ends every sentence with the N-word. And that also sounds like... <laughs> basically, like, every single sentence. I was listening to this particular song, and I had my kids in the car, and I was like, oh, my God. Every single word. <laughs> Come on, man. Let's roll this. Hey, motherfucking kill. What the fuck's wrong with you? You didn't get the rest of that gangsta fairytale shit. Won't you kick it one good time, niggas? Now them three little pigs got a rose driving down Sesame Street and I bet that 
little motherfuckers out fucking Smurfette. Ain't saw the wolf yet, but it's no doubt. They'll catch his ass slipping at This song reminded me of, I won't say who it is, but a, a, a mutual friend of ours who we lived with in Newark engaged in like a profanity laced tug of war with a seven year old at a deli at like two in the morning. And this kid knew shit that I didn't even like, he was dropping words that I'd never even heard of before, but I guess he grew up in this like diner. Was it the Wilbur street deli? It exactly was the Wilbur street deli. Yeah. The deli that opened at nine o'clock at night. It was open until like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. They, they know their clientele. Oh my god, I cannot believe I did not die from like like what let's see. Today I had um a piece of toast and then I smoked a lot of weed and I drank 14 <laughs> beers. And now I'm about to eat a cheesesteak that has chicken fingers, french fries and, and french fries. On it. Yes. <laughs> and then I'm going to go to sleep immediately. Like, Why didn't they I just deep fry the entire sandwich? I feel like that would have saved him a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I got to ask a question. Which came first, this or LL Cool J's cereal song? Milky because cereal? Because I, like, oh. I feel like they're the same thing, but the execution by uh, by Cube is much, much better. Yeah, agreed. I couldn't, couldn't help but think of the LL song. All right, I'm not the only one. Good. Yeah, so LL released Mama Said Knock You Out in 91. This came out in 92, but this is the second installment. This is part two, right? This is part two. There is, on America's Most Wanted, there is Gangsta's Fairy Tale 1. The Which fans is- demanded a sequel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the people are, are eager for it. I didn't listen to that one. I didn't get around to listening to that. I was too busy cowering in the corner after listening to this album. Uh, is it comparable? I, I mean, yeah, it's just a terrible song where he's just like talking about the three little pigs and how like right. you know Snow White's a bitch and stuff like that. Right. Wait, can we talk about how this is blatantly <laughs> lifting from House of Pain, the jump around? Like, oh no, I think oh. he was, I think he was talking shit on them. Okay, good. I good. think he was like, <laughs> you know, hey, like you guys basically got because they were like that song was huge, and I think that he was just like, oh, it's because you're white. Like they were like the Eminem of their day, where it's like the Vanilla Ice. Basically, it's like the next evolution of Vanilla Ice, and he's just sort of like, "Oh, look how like he wrote a song." I'm pretty sure that was designed to be lame, and then put the jump around chorus in there as like an example of this is a super lame song. That that makes more sense. I'm 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 satisfied with that explanation. <laughs> I I think it, okay. Here's 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 the most gracious take on this. This is definitely not a success. But it's not 100% embarrassing either. And it, it kind of made me appreciate all the aggression that was going on. Like, like I think what Cube's trying to do here is he's trying to branch out, be a slightly more whimsical. And it has the effect. <laughs> Whimsy on this <laughs> but, but here's what it does. A whimsical tour de force. <laughs> Throw in the word jubilee at some point when talking about Ice Cube, and we'll have completed the trifecta. And I'm like of, just picturing sorry. him with like a like a scarf on and being like, <laughs> you know, like walking through a field of lavender talking about the wind. I indubitably, I think its goal is to dilute his anger and aggression, which then makes the anger and aggression hit harder. It's the and I know I reference this song all the time. 
but in the history of albums that need a break from the one thing the band is doing that then allows you to appreciate the thing the band is doing when they get back to it. This is the nothing else matters of this album. <laughs> Accurate. I, I okay. agree with that. Hey, don't, don't diss one of the first songs I ever learned on guitar. Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> that open, uh, open tuning. Yeah. Th- I mean, this song, this song is lame, but you are right. I don't hate this song more than I hate some other like serious endeavors by other rappers. And I take this as a non-serious endeavor. So it's sort of like water off a duck's back. But I I mean, I feel like we couldn't just not talk about the fact that this song is on this album. It's tonally very different. This song reminded me of uh, a lot of like Beastie Boys. So we, when we did Paul's Boutique, that song, that song <laughs> Car Thief. I don't know if you, you can kind of conjure that up. But it definitely felt a little bit out of place and a little bit of a throwaway. You know, like not necessarily filler because I think it sounded cool. It had a nice groove, but... It was, yeah, it was a slightly like off off the mark, I think. <laughs> well, at least in this I, song, he's still talking about how the cops kill people. Because um, the pigs are a pretty prominent character in this song. <laughs> yeah. How many different ways could I package the same information? <laughs> yeah. I keep giggling because I wrote down my <laughs> the lyrics from this song. Peeped out little Miss Muffet on her tuffet eating grits. She saw the Mac 10 and the bitch at the shits. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Uh, that's good Uh, good times all right rounding home base here let's talk about the song check yourself wait can you round home base once you're at home you're home rounding to home base you pedantic asshole (laughs) (laughs) tom 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 had a win with a baseball reference last week he thought he'd uh try to double down but no dice (laughs) I was going to triple double down. <laughs> Can you explain running home? <laughs> Either way, we're going to talk about check yourself. Oh. I'm going to start talking about this one. This song is awesome. I First of all, I love this song. Second of all, I know Rob is itching to hear me talk about salt and Peppa's Shoop, which is another song that I also very much love. Um, and it's the same sample from that song, uh, I'm Blue by the Sweet Inspirations, which is also a great song. If you listen to that song, it's got that going on in the background. Well, I actually have a question, Tom, and I'm hoping you can help answer it because I didn't have a chance to look into it myself. But I was a little confused when I first heard this song. First of all, yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised that it has the same sample as Shoop, which we all know on this call Tom loves with a capital L. But and and they use the the sample well and and selectively extend it and do different things like that that I think they should do. But my question is, I this seemed wholly unfamiliar to me, and yet I thought I knew the song. 
Well, I dug around a little bit. I'm more familiar with the version of Check Yourself that I guess they re-recorded that has Grandmaster Flash's The Message as the sample behind it. I thought the same so, yep. exact thing. When this came on, I was like ready for that, re- the re- which apparently is the remix that mm-hmm. I didn't realize was. I thought that was the song, and I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't that song. <laughs> oh, up. come on. I'm not saying it wasn't a good song. I just, I had, I had in my like mental... My mental model was that it was going to be that song. Yeah, this one's a lot brighter. It like it recasts the, the the song quite. Well, because yeah, in the video for the song, he's it's the, the way they tee the videos up. It's a continuation off of "Today Was a Good Day," which ends with him getting arrested, and then he's actually sitting in a jail cell, like rapping this song in the Grandmaster Flash kind of remix version. And it definitely does. You're right, Rob. It puts a different. Like it puts different contours on it, I think. No, I would agree with that. I think that you know you get that doo-wop brightness from the sample. I I am familiar with both versions of the song. I greatly prefer this one. I think it is. Again, it came out before Shoop, so this uh you know this he he used this uh, sample like a, a year before they released. I believe it was very necessary that that song was. On. You know, one hundred percent that it's very necessary, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this. this this song has some of my favorite lines on the album. I just, I don't know why, but like, bring them. Let's hear it. All right, All right. The, the whole opening line where it's just like, uh, "You better check yourself before you wreck yourself, because I'm bad for your health. I come straight self, dropping bombs on your moms. <laughs> Fuck Carlom's. I just don't know why dropping bombs on your moms. <laughs> it's so <laughs> obvious, and I just get such a juvenile appeal out of it. I just chuckle every time. I- I will say, I will agree that intro, those like first few lines are very like iconic seminal lines from, from hip hop. Totally. I, I'll give you that. And then like that second verse, I I particularly feel like the second verse nails it. He really locks in this, like it kind of gets into a little bit of a storytelling aspect of it, but also just like uh, one of maybe my favorite lines in on this album and maybe one of my favorite lines of all time it's like uh tricks want to step the cube and then they get played because they bitch made pulling out a switchblade that's such a good line it's like i've never heard somebody <laughs> refer to as bitch made before but like i dig it like i would love to be able to use that that's in hyphenated my, right in my okay. vocabulary but I, I can't pull it off <laughs> well this, this these kind of songs are where i really appreciate and I, I know rob you've brought up this before of the idea of just like volume of of guys who just hustle and work hard and that there's, there's that aspect of show business where it's not just your talent, but it's like, if you just write, you know, if you just write and write and write and, you know, maybe half of it doesn't sound good, but I feel like this, (laughs) this is an example of just like, you're just writing. It's just a straight volume. It's work. You treat it like a job. It is a job. And that's how you're going to get ahead in this life. And it's, yeah, it's pretty clear to me that he's, a really hard worker, a really disciplined writer to get to this this level. The, the other the line that always stuck with me is his self-reference to his own acting career. I make dough, but don't call me dough boy. To me that always stuck out. Nice. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. And then he uh basically goes into the uh the the last verse which is again just talking about women and it's it's you probably you guys probably know the the part that I'm talking about, which is abrasive, where he's basically like, uh, "There goes the neighborhood hooker," and then somebody just goes "slut," <laughs> and it's it comes in. You're just like, "Damn, dude! Slut. Like, why you gotta do a girl like that?" 
I was more upset with the slut part. Like I heard Hooker, yeah, I was like, okay, well seriously. that's your profession, but I'm like, how dare She's you? She's kind enough her, to have sex with you, monster. And then, <laughs> yeah, right. She's a sex what worker. Does he say, uh, Just give her a break. Giving up the claps, <laughs> and who needs applause? Reference to the butt cheeks clapping together. Wait, can we also talk about? Not that there's much to talk about, but this might be the first gangster rap song that ever drops V8 <laughs> as a. <laughs> That's where I get the volume writing exercise. Not your best cube. You might have wanted to refine that one a little bit more, but that's okay. Also, uh, a sample of the new style by the Beastie Boys is in there, which I thought was, uh, you know, get get a nice, like, Adam Horovitz going on in the background of your song. Adam, that one's specifically for you. We know you love the euphonious (laughs) voice of Adam Horovitz. (laughs) Make my withdrawal! If if we ever do a soundboard, Adam, oh, well, that's that be absolutely like the, on there. The number uh, one drop. But no, this song is this song is just really dope. I I think this is an enduring song. This is my favorite song on the album. I like this more than uh, it was a good day. If I'm listening to the bangers on this album, this is the number one for me. Any other thoughts before we uh, before we wrap it up? So I do want to call out. I think the saddest character in on the entire album that I felt I felt the worst for in. What's the song called? Now I Gotta Wet You. <laughs> the intro is them in the car. And they're like, yo, Cube, there's that mf right there. And he's like, no shit, watch this. Hey, what's up, man? And the dude outside the car goes, eh, not too much, man. And then Cube kills him. Like, for no, like, just shoots. I, and, like, if he was, like, a natural enemy, he would have been like, oh, shit, Cube. And he would have run away. But the dude was like, hey, what's up, man? He's like, yeah. yeah. Your shirt's going to be wet because I'm he, pumping you full of lead. I was like, oh, that he, poor guy didn't least even do anything. The line of all time. You won the wet <laughs> right, t-shirt contest. <laughs> oh. Ooh, Cube. Is that what people say? That, and that feels like a Jake Peralta, Brooklyn right. Nine-Nine, like, set up for an Arnold Schwarzenegger line, you know? <laughs> I just uh, felt so bad for that guy. Anyway, that was my my last thought. Well, since we touched on, I'm gonna wet you. I heard this could be apocryphal that his line in that it's on like Donkey Kong might be the coinage of that phrase. That is yes, apparently oh. where it came from. Yes, I think I think Nintendo actually like you know copyrighted that or you know claimed that term in in order to like market the new Donkey Kong but yeah that's I talk about right. cultural endurance that's an awesome line that's not a great song <laughs> which i mean it doesn't make any sense but yeah, it's it still it, it it's yeah. been a lasting yeah. line for sure yeah. all right so all that is left to do now is to make our final decisions let's hear from you guys i am very interested to know i i I honestly i've left this conversation without an idea of what your votes are going to be so i am actually going to be held in suspense just like you are dear listeners so we are going to throw it over to adam first adam does this belong on a list of albums you must hear before you die this was completely new to me as i had said at the at the top of the podcast and this left Parts of this album left me shaken. Parts of this album left me laughing. It left me with a better appreciation of something that I had written off as a 12-year-old, as a, a, as a white suburban kid uh, growing up in a Catholic school, 
something that was just kind of thrown out and and this is bad this is bad music you don't listen to this i will not be listening to this anytime in the near future in terms of enjoyment listening but you need to listen to this this is slice of life this is a point in time in 1992 at an incredibly divisive time in american culture and ice cube brings it like it is he is speaking his truth it is vulgar it is violent but you gotta listen man this is this is this is good shit yeah i uh i I feel like you said it better than i could honestly and captured a lot of my thoughts on this i think i probably will not give this a spin anytime soon like I've, i've definitely got my fill of it but i think it's it's borderline essential listening um it's you know ice cube and and we sort of alluded to this earlier which i really wasn't aware of that the idea that he was writing a lot of these nwa songs writing songs for for easy and others i think he's just a a a poet of his time and uh, of that time and place and he really captures what was happening in that moment so yeah i definitely think uh it, it belongs on the list well i'm gonna agree with you too as well it was an almost completely fresh listen for me certainly learning about the record was new and for all the reasons you described, it was topical then, and it's still topical. And I think that's just that's just really impressive. I, I feel a little like I can't quite put this properly in the schema of, of Ice Cube's catalog, unfortunately. So the truth is I don't know if this is the best introduction to Ice Cube, so don't take my word on that. But because it has this layer of political relevance, and it is this historical document of its time, combined with the fact that I do, I, what I did learn from listening to this is Ice Cube is a very strong lyricist and generally knows how to make a hit at least a few times a record, knows how to make a banger. And you know, maybe last thought, because I did look it up at the earlier part of this, I had been laboring under the thinking that The Chronic predated this, or at least that The Chronic by Dr. Dre predated Today was a good day, but this came out a little bit before in the same year. And I think it's, I guess I've always held that one up as the opening of that kind of G-funk, as Tom said, that kind of chill version of rap that I always really liked as a kid. And Today Was a Good Day has to be credited with coming out before that. So props to them. I don't know if they were even talking at that time, so I don't imagine there was a lot of cross-pollination, but... Yes, listen. I think it must be listened to. You know, they might have been talking because I think that they they ended up collaborating um, after NWA. I think that everybody hated Easy E, and they didn't necessarily hate it. Like I don't think Ice Cube and Dr. Dre necessarily hated each other. But yeah, I mean, we're gonna go four for four on this one. I think this album is great. I think that um, in addition to everything that has been said before, I also think that this album for a 1992 album had a pretty forward-looking sound that I liked. Um, and I think that it predicted a lot of sound that came later on in the 90s, as Rob pointed out, like that sort of G-Funk style was. I mean, you could argue that, <clears throat> you know, uh, it was a good day. Does that just as good as any of the Dr. Dre songs that came out? And that was Dr. Dre's whole thing. It's almost like, uh, you know, with the Beatles being like, oh, we can write a better Who song than the Who, so we're going to write Helter Skelter, you know? They sort of proved that if I had wanted to, I could have done this better than you. But I'll just, you know, throw one off and it'll be just as good as the best thing that you're going to do. Fantastic, powerful, lasting, big thumbs up from me. So, there we are. Four, four, four. Ice Cube. We uh, have added you to the list. One more accolade that you need in your long and storied career. You can 
add that to despite your success as an actor writer right possibly <laughs> producer yeah um, oh absolutely executive producer yeah. on a ton of different stuff um and worth like 160 million dollars or something like that so yeah you know so. and yet this is the accolade he was waiting for he does he does comedy well too because so i just forgot that he was in 21 and 22 jump street or at least 22 jump street he's he in was 21 there. jump street too yeah he's in both of them yeah, yeah which are hilarious so he he plays the straight guy really well in those two absolutely like madonna before right. you <laughs> <laughs> oh yes so um all we have now dear listeners is to decide what we are going to be listening to next week. I know that you are all very eager to get your homework assignment. I've got the Albinator 5000 here. It has uh, been digitized, so I don't have to haul it around anymore. We made the Albinator app. We call it the Appinator, I guess. Great. i got to make a note for all future podcasts. It's the Appinator. I love the all idea right. of you just standing over an Albinator that looks like an old Hammond, like a B3, <laughs> just like mashing <laughs> buttons, dials, and... So, next week, we will be listening to Drum Roll Please. Oh, all right. Violent Femmes by Violent Femmes, which Alan does not contain a song called Violent Femmes. So far, we've only gotten that with Iron Maiden, right? Is it at least through through Violent Femmes records? (laughs) I love this record. I'm just going to say that right away. This, This one's a banger. I listen to this one all the time. As a bass player, I feel like you have to listen to this album. Yeah, I've probably listened to this a thousand times already. So, yeah, should be a good week. So, <laughs> come on, let's save the content, fellas. We got to slow. Something this tells thing. me I've listened to this album a thousand times. I, I, I don't think that um, you know we're gonna run out of comments like that next week. <laughs> but you want to tune in, listeners, because this is gonna be awesome. Lots of new, hot, fresh takes on this album that is as old as we are. <laughs> I'm happy to play the contrarian just okay. for the okay. sake of it. Yeah. Is it because you don't like amazing dynamic <laughs> bass playing? I like it. I no, don't I, like I, it. I do like it, but I, I just someone has to play the foil. The bass is hot. The bass is not The bass hot. is the whole band. <laughs> it's root four or five. So, until <laughs> then, I'm sure you guys are riveted if to know what we're going to think about that album. I have been Tom. I'm Adam. I'm Alan. And I am Rob. All right. Boosh. Boosh.